Coming up, a Sad Styles production. Hello and welcome. My name is Mikey Aaronworth, signing on to the Sign Off of Frameworth podcast for yet another week. It's the forum for all the stories you didn't know you wished you knew about the realm of sports and sports marketing. I am joined in studio in lovely Toronto, Ontario, Canada, with the president of Frameworth Sports Marketing, the man himself, dare I say the legend, Brian Aaronworth. Yeah, How's that feel? I dare not. I dare not. Oh, you're not comfortable <laughs> with that. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. You know what? Usually, you know, off mic, I feel like you would demand it of me to call you I that. do, but not on. <laughs> not on mic. Yeah, you don't want to put anything on, way, on yeah. public record. That That's fair. Uh, I want to put this out there to our listeners. Obviously, you know, uh, episode by episode, we read off some reviews that some of our listeners have been leaving us on Apple Podcasts, maybe some ratings on Spotify as well. If you're out there and you want to put yourself in the running for some free signed 8x10s, definitely get out there and leave us a rating or review or tell a friend to do so. We're collecting a new pool of those reviews to draw from. So we're essentially starting from scratch. If you you haven't done it yet, make sure to put that review out there and you might be one one of a few in the running. So your odds are, are pretty high. We'll start to read off some reviews in the coming weeks. Uh, we're getting a little bit of ahead on recordings and then uh, and then it's fair game. So uh, without further ado, all that housekeeping up top, I'm excited for our guest. Ed, you excited to bring our guest on today? I am. Actually. All right. Did you, did you have your intro prepared? You want to read that off? No, no, you, you're smooth. You just go. Okay. I, one, one of these days, one of these days, I'm going to expect you to do it. Our guest this week is a man who spent over 15 years playing professional hockey in a career which took him from Brentford, Ontario, all the way to Austria and many places in between. His unwavering passion and dedication to the game amassed him over 1,000 points in just over 800 games at the professional level. But in the middle of that stint, this pro turned OPP officer found himself playing for a team uh, called the Danbury Trashers. Today, we sit down to find out all about his pro career and his time in Danbury as well. Ladies and gentlemen, Brent Gretzky. Brent, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. And great intro, by the way. Thank you very much. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll keep that responsibility. I yeah, will pass I think that you on. better because I can't yeah. do that. Maybe, you know no, what? I I'm just the color guy. You just know? the color guy. Yeah. yeah. Usually the color guy has the color for language, right? Yeah. That would that should be you though. No. We'll do some dueling intros back and forth one day and see Not how it goes. A um, <laughs> little bit of healthy competition. Never hurt anyone there. Uh, I, I do want to get into this. The reason why in the introduction, Brent, you know, you have a career that that spans so much more than just the year that you spent in Danbury. But the reason I brought it up is because, you know, we, we've known each other. We at Frameworth and yourself have been in communication uh, for for quite a long time. But you recently came back into touch with my dad because of some dealings that were going on with Danbury. Obviously, uh, Untold Crime and Penalties, a massive documentary that came out on Netflix as part of a larger sports series. And it featured Danbury Trashers, which if you haven't heard this as as you, the listener, go back and listen to our episode with AJ Galante, the president of the team at the time in the UHL. A how do you summarize this story quickly? Uh, a team that uh, was that basically dubbed themselves the bad boys of hockey. They they essentially tried to make slap shot based on a true story uh, and and involved uh, all kinds of casts of characters in there. there there's a ton of uh, interest there. And, and now it's in popular culture. So there's been a demand for some memorabilia and some product. And Brent, you were signed on as the captain in the first year of their uh, of, of their creation in Danbury. So let's let's start there. What what happened recently you 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 know it was i think 2004 2005 that you played with the team and all of a sudden we're looking at this 16 17 years later and this is back on your radar was was this just an element of your hockey career that you never expected to have to talk about again and now all of a sudden is 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 on everyone's mind well I, you know i'm like it, it's funny because i was approached by the glantes mr glantes at the end of the season in port huron and uh, I was living in Brights Grove of the UHL. And um, 
just he told me what he was going to be doing and the players that he wanted to sign and and in that time the, the players that I knew that he was going to get uh, were the best players in the league and, and right. it was something that I couldn't turn down and uh, even though I had to uproot our family again I had a wife and uh, three kids and uh, you know what we were like we got to take a chance it's going to be great and uh, when we got there we did the signing we did. Um, visits, uh, hospital visits and, and things of that nature. He showed us the dressing room, uh, beautiful dressing room, like NHL uh, dressing room. The rink was awesome. The Was this the great. new facility that he'd built? Uh, I think, I don't think he built it. I think they um, renovated it. Okay. Um, to, to fit, I believe. Um, but it was beautiful and um, it was top notch. The family, the Galanti family, uh, were just amazing. Um, you know, you go over for dinner. Um, he he and his wife would come over to the guy's apartments uh, to visit with his teammates. And, uh, you know, just down to earth, great, super people. And AJ, uh, you know, one of the questions I get asked a lot from the show is, was he really that big of a punk? <laughs> and and, I, and honestly, he, he, he's not. And he was 18, 18, 19, whatever it was, and just a super, super kid, uh, very genuine, loved the sport, was very passionate about it, loved the players. And it's almost like he wanted to be on the team. Sure. Like he wanted to play, but he couldn't. And uh, so to answer your question, it's funny because when we came home and told people what was going on, in Danbury, whether it be the organization, the, the players, the fans, the games, the fights, everybody was like, ah, oh, yeah. And yeah. now this show has come out and everybody's asking us, did this really happen? What happened? Where did it go? And we're like, you guys didn't want to listen to us in 05. We're not going to tell you now. Watch the show. You know, so it is kind of rehashing it. But when you have, I mean, Hollywood production, when it goes, you have all the cinematography uh, and everything else, and you can see it. So it's a, it's a great story, but just great people. And then I talked to Brian, um, you know, I talked to my brother Glenn first, and uh, AJ was reaching out, uh, maybe put something together. And I was speaking to my brother Glenn, and uh, first person we thought of was, uh, was Brian, and uh, we gave him a call. Well, you know, I'll just fill you in there too. So what, what had happened was I get a call from, uh, Glenn and Brent and, uh, they said to me, we, we had an offer because AJ's a very generous guy. I mean, I don't think throughout, even when you watch the documentary right. and all that, they, the players were so well looked after as Brent just mentioned. And, um, he, uh, he had made, he decided to reproduce some, some jerseys and, right. And he probably could have just brought them out with with the name Gretzky on the back for sure. Brent, and decided that he wouldn't do that without getting his permission. One and cutting him in on a little bit of the of the uh, revenue, uh, for or not, or just name. trying to get away with it. Uh, in this industry, that wouldn't be very surprising. No, right? I don't. I don't even exactly, know. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you could put the name. I don't even know that he had to, but he right, did right. because that's the right thing to do. And so uh, Glenn and Brent called me and said, you know. We just need to know, is this the right thing to do? Sure. Should we be doing it? Because obviously we're in the memorabilia business. And I said, absolutely. But I said, I don't even know. But what you, 
clarify, you didn't know what this documentary was I, at the time, I was just right? going to say, I didn't. That's see, right. I had never seen this. I said, what, what are we talking about? Who, who's Danbury? And what? So I watched the documentary and I went, oh my God, this is, this is a marketing wet dream. Yeah. Leave it, leave it to, uh, uh, to my dad, Brent. Eh? My, my brother and I had been desperately trying to convince my dad to watch it. I understand. <laughs> he, like, said, he told me that. Like, yes, he told me on the yes. phone that you got, yes. He's like, oh, my sons have told me about it, but now two other people are telling me about it. I guess now that'll tip the scales a little bit. It's like, <laughs> well, no, now I, it wasn't just watching it. It's, I think there's money to be made. There, there right? you go. That so makes sense, I yeah. got to figure out how to make some money at this or, you know, not through for, uh, from Brent. But so from, dad, walk us through your, your process there. Well, as soon as I saw the documentary, I went, oh my God, this is great. Now right. it's like at that point, eight months old or seven, I don't know how long it's been out by that time, but I just said, those jerseys are amazing. Yes. You know, trash can on the front. Yeah. yeah. A logo designed by AJ and his friends, by the way. And I, I made a phone call to AJ, uh, got the number. I think Brent, you gave it to me or whatever. And I, yes, and we just hit it off. He is such a nice guy, likable guy. And, yeah. um, and they were bringing out a replica Jersey, but they were just selling replica jerseys, uh, for people to wear. And I said, no, there, this is a collectible. People right. are going to want it. And, and, you know, the number one name on the Jersey is Gretzky because he's the first captain. Sure. And then, you know, we, I started learning about Wingfield and the other guys too. And they were fan favorites, of course, because they're, you know, fighting prowess. And so it just led to that. And then it got back to, uh, so we got the rights uh, from AJ's to produce a game model Jersey. Right. And then I went back to every player uh, starting with Brent and said, okay, here's what I want you to do. Here's, here's how we're going to, uh, uh, share the revenue on this stuff. Everybody agreed almost immediately. They thought it was great. Well, because no one at the time was talking signatures, right? No. Like Brent, I don't think you had been approached to to lend an autograph to this as, as well, right? It, it was it was kind of Absolutely left on the not. table. No. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So so we ended up um, probably the easiest negotiations and the most fun of any players or leagues that I've ever been involved with because. You know, there was no agents involved. The guys were thrilled to, you know, that we were uh, bringing this back to life. And everybody was in, like, to a person. Whoever I asked wanted in, and what can I do for you? And so we just proceeded. And that's how uh, Brent and I have been back and forth for the last uh, month. And now there's there's an entire product line that's been developed. You can obviously find that at framework.com. Not that this is a podcast advertising our own products, but you know, just but a little is. bit of, but, but yeah, why not? Why? Hey, listen, <laughs> you call the shots. Framework.com. So framework.com. Www.framework.com. <laughs> Follow us at Framework Sport on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. Why not? We're going to use the platform if we have it. Um, now you mentioned something that, that interested me, Brent, and uh, you know, eventually I do want to get into your, your pro career and talk a little bit about that. But since we're on the topic of, of Dan Barry, let's stay here for a little bit. You mentioned that, uh, AJ had approached you and uh, kind of given you the tour of the facilities, showing you what it was all about. And something that I found fascinating is is people often ask you, you know, was he as much of a punk as he came across in the documentary? And when we had him on, I... I posited to him that he was nothing of the sort because of his fascination with professional wrestling. He always liked the bad guy. He's very upfront about that. Did you know that that was his plan all along? Like there, you see the version of him who approaches you and then you see who he is in the media. Did you immediately understand that he was doing this for the benefit of the marketing side of the club? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, Speaking to his dad, Mr. Glonty, 
we knew exactly what the team was going to be. I knew what the makeup was going to be. I know what I knew what the hockey was going to be like. And one thing about AJ when when we say punk, it, it, and he just came across uh, at that age, but he wasn't, and he and he could have been. He could have been obnoxious, and he and, and he has the family has lots of money. He is one of the most genuine per- people in the world. Mm-hmm. And what people have to remember is those New England fans, like the Eastern Seaboard fans. Yeah. Are passionate. Oh, they they love mm-hmm. their sports, uh, team, players, anything. They back them. They don't leave them. And it's almost a family member. If somebody does something to them, they're going to get upset. Yes. And that's just the makeup. And it's awesome. And so, yeah, I knew um, I knew the players that he wanted to get. I knew what they wanted to do. And I knew what, they, uh, what product they were going to put on the ice. But I also knew the players that they're bringing in. Like you said, uh, you mentioned um, players in the past. Is, uh, uh, no, it was uh, Ruben Nadir. Oh, oh Nadir, yeah, yeah. Nadir. yeah. Uh, tremendous defensive, big, huge guy, very tough, but he could play. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe he played with Wayne in uh, New York with New York Rangers. Oh, okay. Um, so I, I knew that the from there out, because you build your team from – goalie out sure and they had a goalie scott sterling uh i think another rangers pick i believe and his brother was the coach and so i i knew i think it was scott uh, uh i can't remember his name uh but anyways uh just a great team and i knew what we were going to be about yes so you knew that they were uh, from the outset building a team that was going to have an emphasis on this grit Right, that that's what they were going to bring to the forefront, and you were going to be a little bit more the the finesse, right? And and that that Absolutely. whole idea of, of coming there and letting them do the dirty work, and and you just getting the goals as you'd been proven to be capable of doing in your professional career over time. It's 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 good to know that this was this was sort of it. I mean, I think everyone watching the documentary was was surprised to hear. I mean, obviously we're we're going in blind; we don't know anything about it uh, that you had signed on to this team because prior to the documentary. No one knew about this team. You know, people were begging right. to tell the yeah. story and no one wanted to listen, probably because they thought it was it was just fake. One thing that came across in the in the documentary that I don't think people see behind the scenes after speaking with John Morasti many times since last night at the latest was you you always talk about how often you and Morasti speak. Are you guys buddy buddy now? We is are he talking now. to you more I than I'm talking to you. This guy is one of the most <laughs> likable characters you'll ever want to meet. We got to get we'll, him on we'll the get show the because there's a whole yeah. other side of this. But the one thing that came across in my conversation last night was you when you watch the documentary, it's all about fighting and and goons and and all that stuff. In fact, uh Brent, you had a very small part in that thing because you were a player and mm-hmm. they've focused in right. the documentary on the fighting. Right. right. But all these guys like Ruman Dedur, uh, John Morasti, Brad Wingfield, mm-hmm. these are guys that are skilled hockey players. They Eventually were just Mike Rupp as well. Yeah. No joke. Super yeah. tough Mike on Rupp, top yeah. of that. Mike Rupp, yeah. They were they were super tough guys, but they could play hockey. So you know, you'd think it was just they just go beat people up like this new show Shorzy. Right. And and yet uh no, they were playing hockey too, but they never showed really any of the superstar goals and all that. It was all about the fighting. Yeah, it was almost that was almost right. uh, 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 what what the documentary was about was the fighting, as opposed to the fact that Danbury was actually playing solid hockey. Now, you know, you 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 you're you're growing up. I know uh, uh, your dad Walter is is often credited for uh, his his coaching style and his teaching style and and talking about greatness and and family and this and that. And there is absolutely an element of family, as you mentioned in that Eastern 
seaboard sort of uh, mentality of, of, you know, don't hurt any of my family members. This is this is what Danbury is all about. That sort of loyalty that it that it encompasses. But at a certain point, you know, you're you're playing on a team. And you get embroiled in this issue with with Brad Wingfield, uh, who I believe was your uh, line mate for a time, wasn't he? Yeah, uh, yeah, he, he definitely was my wing or uh, my line mate. And uh, with a guy like that on your line, I I automatically get an extra five feet <laughs> everywhere direction. you go. You know, anywhere I went. Um, so it's probably one of the easier uh, lines to play on because he would go to the net because he he was good enough to play. Excuse me, and good enough to play. Uh, not just fight, but as long as he, I knew that he came to work every night and, and, uh, and that's, he was amazing. Just a great guy. And, uh, I had played against him before and I knew how tough he yeah. was, but a good player too. And when he's on the ice, you were, you were golden. So it must've been, uh, kind of devastating when Elzinga, you know, the issue between Elzinga and uh, yeah. one thing, uh, one thing I will say about the documentary is it very much vilifies Elzinga. And I think it's hard to do in a documentary that's about grit and quote-unquote goons and all that to really paint the bad guy picture. He's a hockey player, so that's not what I'm trying to do. But he does break yeah. Wingfield's leg. And it is, it's, it's, it's as, as I think AJ explained, it was like a, like a rod snapping, like you could hear it in the arena. Yeah. And as a result of that, you know, you Brent is someone who grew up with this element of greatness and family and this and that are now embroiled in this, in this back and forth issue of, of, well, we can't wait for him to come back because this isn't about hockey anymore. It's about revenge. At that point, are you still thinking, Hey, we're a good team and, and, you know, I can't wait to keep playing. Or are you starting to like feel your neck a little bit? Like, Oh guys, I don't, I don't know if we want to go this far into it. What's going through your mind at this point? No, I don't think so. Like I, I, because, because it's a sport, right. And one of your best players usually gets hurt in, in one of the games, playoffs, championships, whatever it is, Braden point the other night. Right. Right. So somebody will go down. That's a little more uh, anomaly with the broken leg in hockey. I mean, but to get injured, you still, you you still count on each other. That's why there's 18 of you on a team. Right. So, you have to pick up that guy definitely, and the next person will step up and do the job. It's a job opportunity for the, the next person, mm-hmm. so you can't. Whether and later on in that season, um, halfway I think thirty-eight games in, I I got uh, hurt in Fort Wayne against Fort Wayne. I blew my shoulder, mm-hmm. rotator cuff, and everything else. I was done. Right. And then after that, after that happened, Mom passed away in December mm-hmm. of two thousand five. So I ended up doing rehab back here. I, I I got my surgery done there, rehab here. Like it was just a long drawn out year for myself yeah. personally. But as a team, you still have to pick up each other to get the job done. Of course. No, I was going to ask about that because I noticed that, uh, uh, and I there wasn't any context for it. Another yeah. thing that the documentary kind of, uh, skirts over or blurs the line on is the fact that Danbury was in existence for two seasons and it really makes it seem like it's kind of one season where everything takes place over the course of one season in yeah. your time with Danbury you played 37 games uh, with with the Trashers yeah. and you had come back and signed with a new team the following year in uh, yeah. the Motor City Mechanics was there a reason yes. why uh, you you decided to to go somewhere else or was it just a matter of circumstance he, no it was more along the lines of uh, like he had mentioned uh, with my shoulder and we moved back home uh, for rehab and uh, living in um, rehab on my shoulder and living in Bright's Grove, which is like 20 minutes from the border right. of Sarnia. Um, and with mom passing away in that December, 
I wanted to be closer at home. Uh, dad was by himself. Uh, and just family reasons. Um, you know, to go back to Danbury uh, so quickly as anybody, I mean, I think I was 32 years old, I think, 32 or 33 at that time. So I, I more or less wanted, so I, I was traveling an hour and something uh, back and forth to Motor City uh, to play for the mechanics every day, every practice, and then go back for the night, um, another hour. So it was two hours uh, in total. Uh, but I, I, that was more of the reason why. Okay. So you were crossing the border every day to play, uh, yes, Motor City. Yes. Wow. Uh, I would leave at eight in the morning, go for 10 o'clock practice, come home after practice, have lunch, go back, uh, across for the game and then come back again. Now, during that time, uh, you're obviously aware of, you know, Wingfield doing his best to return. I'm sure that was news in the league. I mean, obviously, it's it's a very uh, uh, isolated documentary that's only paying attention to what's going on in Danbury, but it seemed like a league-wide awareness, A, of Danbury, and B, of the fact that there was going to be this reunion team. First question, actually, I didn't even think to ask, did you end up playing against Danbury when you were playing for Motor City? And if oh, so, yeah. how did... Yeah, I played against them, yeah. How did that and, go? And uh, the... It, it was good. A uh, little nerve-wracking yeah. walking in as the opposing <laughs> team. I will be honest. And uh, when we showed up the first game uh, on the team bus, uh, Mr. Galanti was the first person to come out our door and greet me at the bus. Mm. And, um, you know, uh, gave me wishes, this and that, uh, mom. Like, just uh, just a great family, great people. Yeah, let me ask you this. Yeah. Uh, so, you... You're playing on a team with a lot of tough guys. Your your brother was noted for always having somebody, some Manko or McSorley yeah. and that, just to kind of be around and give him some space, as you mentioned. So playing on a team like like uh, the th- Trashers, you weren't expected, I guess, to drop the gloves too often. There was always somebody <laughs> kind of, you don't, you, you know, there's fighters sure. and there's, there's the guys that are goal protecting scores. goal scorers. So um, then moving, so going back into that scenario, if you're if you're on the other team coming in there, um, was there still that code that you don't go after the goal scorers, you know, because you know, sure, they're not fighters. The fighters stay with the fighters, and that is is was that the way it was? Usually it is, Brian. Um, usually it is, and then when you start getting, if if you you can if you want, but you know you're you're probably going to meet up with somebody else at the end of the game <laughs> near the end of the game, right? Sure. So you hope that the games are kept close, like a 4-3, not a 5-1. Right. It gets out of reach, and then things happen. But when it comes to playoffs, it's a little different. Uh, everybody's free game, and uh, a, a good clean hit um, is warranted on anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you don't go into – I think that was around the time, actually, I want to say that Quebec League was starting. Remember, it was just – Fighting, right, fighting, right. like real fighting. Yes. And that's all they did. I don't even know if they dropped the puck. <laughs> um, so it was kind of, it sort of started around the same time as them. I think they were after 04. But anyways, to go answer your question, everybody's everybody can be hit. Uh, and you know you're going to get hit. But whether the uh, if you're going to get a knee or something, that's a little different. And if you did do that then you know somebody's coming after you. Right, right. Uh, another two-part question. One, did you ever 
Were you ever privy to some of the locker room antics that that Danbury would play? <laughs> I know that they we, they talk about cutting. No, the none. No, none. Of course, because it was just all none. happenstance. It was just happenstance. Yeah. And, and no, he, and Tommy Pumicello is a great guy. He he actually picked us up at the airport. He uh, like uh, when you first fly in, he'd pick up the players and bring the stuff to the rink or your apartment or your house wherever you're living. Uh, again, just a great family guy and uh, a. a and I believe he coached younger teams, like uh, as he when he was younger. But again, just loved the game, just loved the sport, yeah. and wanted to be a part of it, wanted to be on the team. And for whatever he said he did, um, it was for the benefit of the team. And uh, you know, he he, he just they, they just love sports. We do too, Ken. So don't get me wrong; I'm not saying that. But we're a little bit more subdued in our passion and our love for our teams and. And, and players of course yeah you yeah it's uh it, it's amazing you know you you get this picture painted of the uhl based on the documentary but of course there were some teams that were just t- trying to play like the old traditional yeah. style of hockey i'm, I'm assuming absolutely when yeah. you went oh, back yeah. to danbury did you know were, hey did the lights shut off in your locker room were the alarms going off <laughs> in the hotel anything like that no not at all not at all no i i, I used to buy tommy some dinner so he, he wouldn't do that to us <laughs> dinners and a cigar i i said when we were yeah, interviewing I, aj no yeah. one smokes a cigar better than that guy he uses it as a punch, yeah, punctuation right. mark it's fantastic um so so your your time with with the the uh with motor city is kind of coming to an end obviously the playoffs are coming up did you have your eyes yeah. on the return match of wingfield versus I was like, were you watching that? Were, were you, were you aware that it was coming? No, out? no, no, I didn't. No, I, no, was that by choice or you just kind of, Hey, you'd moved on. You're at a different team now. Yeah. I was, and, and they don't, they didn't televise back then. Right. So I wouldn't have known. Um, and if anything, it, it would have been a, like, it would have spread around the league if something did happen. Like I, I, I can't remember if it did. I don't recall. Okay. That's fair. Uh, is there is there a story that you have from experience within Danbury that uh, obviously the, the 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 Netflix documentary didn't didn't touch on? Is there one thing that you hey say when you were return home and you're like you wouldn't believe what's going on in Danbury? The story that you wanted to tell either personally or about something else that wouldn't have made it into the documentary? Anything specific? No, I don't think so. I, I, the only thing that and I've. Re- said it a couple times, a few times, is, you know, they come off as uh, the team or the family, the owners, whatever, came off as these big brutes and mm-hmm. tough guys and, and, and all that. But I, individually, personally, away from the rink, they're just great people. Just looked after you, looked after the team, looked after their uh, uh, the players' wives, kids. They did everything for the players and, of course, the fans. Uh, you know, they, they did what they had to do with the fans, how to get them in there, how to get them to support them. And, uh, just great people. And it's too bad that, uh, they didn't keep going. Do you know what a a common denominator amongst, uh, with, well, well, actually these guys actually refer to themselves as goons sometimes when you're talking, but uh, the (laughs) tough guys and the common denominator that I found over the years after meeting these guys um, Semenko and uh, and McSorley and and all the toughest guys mm-hmm. are the nicest guys. Yeah. Like you yeah. would think that just they're just mean, angry people all the time. That's the way you would 
that see them if you just watched a hockey game. And when you see them off the ice, they're the first ones with the kids. They're right. the first ones yeah. shaking hands. It's amazing how that transition takes place. Well, isn't it because you have to care? Like if if you're going to put your body on the line, you have to care about the no, people I just think they you. love to fight. Yeah, oh yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> the easy answer. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and, and Brian, and, and I still do it. I, I play with the, I tour with the NHL alumni and we play against uh, other police uh, forces, OPP and municipal. We raise money for um, Special Olympics. And after the game, we have to do a reception with fans and, and VIPs. And McSorley's there, uh, Brian Muir, um, Dan Dau, like big names, NHL names. Mm-hmm. And they are the last ones. They, they talk to everybody that's at the restaurant, everybody that's at the reception. Uh, Mike Krushelniski, he passes around his five Stanley Cup rings that are on a skate lace and <laughs> walks away. Like, they're just super people. Like you said, uh, the last ones to leave the rink, last ones to leave the fans, last ones to leave their restaurant. And I, I couldn't agree with you more about uh, what they do. And they promote it so well for the little kids mm-hmm. uh, uh, to get them into the game as well. I remember at, at your brother's fantasy camp and Marty McSorley was playing the game. And then right after our, our games were over and, and a, a bunch of kids came on, uh, a small team, uh, I guess peewees or whatever, Marty stayed on the ice with that, yep. with that team and just practiced with them. And the kids were just now. Here's this monster of a guy, yeah. and and he was on the ice with them, and they were just like, "Who is? Well, one, who is this guy? Because they don't know." Him. And sooner or later, they got to know. So it was great. Yeah. I love that, and I love yeah. uh, uh, Brent. You know, you 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 keep coming back to this idea of uh, how supporting and communal the family, the Galante family was, and that was one of the things that attracted you to Danbury, and it. The reason it fascinates me is because that seems to be a common thread between your family and theirs. The, the, the Gretzky name is known for a lot of things, synonymous with hockey at this point, but also known for for really trying to spread the word about what family is. Uh, you look at you, you mentioned your brother, Glenn, who's heavily involved in, in Wayne Gretzky Estates uh, in the winery and, you know, building the winery, trying to make it like the family homestead, trying to let the world into the family life, whereas a lot of people reach a level of celebrity and want to close themselves off from the rest of the world. Family seems to be so integral to to both you and well to everyone uh, uh, in, involved in, in the Gretzky name at this point, you uh, being the youngest brother uh, in, in, in the family. I, I found this interesting. I didn't realize this. You would have had to say goodbye to Wayne when he went away. I think you were three years old when, when he left. I was I was two. He was 13. Yeah. You were two. He was 13. So growing up, yeah. how close were the two of you? Well, uh, well, firstly, let me start with uh, the family thing. Um, that, that all is attributed to uh, mom and dad. Okay. Um, how we brought up, how we were brought up, what we did and where we went, how we, um, you know, manners and morals and everything, we were all taught from our, by our parents. And one of the things, how how hard dad worked, um, I think he was at Bell 34 years, eight to five every day, Monday to Friday. And, and then he would come home and do the rink and stand out in his big parka and he would have his hose and, and hand spray the whole yard right. and then he put a sprinkler and uh he would do it all night long he would come in sleep on the couch for an hour go back out for two hours sleep for an hour go back out and then it just he just did it every night but one thing and i i don't think it's ever been said and mm-hmm. this is a uh is that in the summertime 
Dad brought in a mound of dirt because uh, we we played baseball. Oh, okay. And we were pitchers. We played uh, pitchers uh, in shortstop and third base. That was our, mainly our positions. Sure. And we had a great family friend, uh, Mr. Moy, John Moy. And he was the pitching coach for the Brantford Red Sox in Brantford, the uh, senior team. And dad would build a pitcher's mound in the backyard with, with a rubber and everything. Oh, wow. So then, yeah. And then after dinner, Mr. Moore would come over and we'd go through how to pitch and uh, curveballs and knuckleballs and splitters, everything. And then at the end of the summer, my dad by himself would uh, shovel the dirt into a wheelbarrow and put it at the side of the house and, and dump it at the side of the house and wait till spring so he'd do it again. So the same dirt year to year. I don't think that same dirt year to year, and he would do it all himself. And it's just amazing. I can't thank him and my mom enough. I don't think any of us could. Uh, what what he did for us in the backyard, whether it be baseball or hockey. And I just don't, I, I've never heard the story of the baseball story. No, yeah, I haven't No, I never uh, heard that. Yeah. And, That's uh, going to be on our teaser. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. And it was awesome. People would come over, our friends, whether it be hockey or baseball, come over. So he wasn't just doing it for us. He was doing it for everybody. And again, just a, just a great man and uh, and. Two of them, obviously my two heroes, my mom and my dad. Who yeah. who was the best baseball player of, of you and the siblings? Oof. Well, I think only one of us got drafted uh, <laughs> to Toronto. Um, that would be Wayne. Um, I'm sure he went for a tryout of some sort. I don't know a pitcher tryout. I don't know. Um, well, you had a nephew. Ran in the family too, oh, your nephew. I forgot about, there yeah, you go. I forgot yeah. about Trevor. Yeah. So we'll say Trevor. Okay. <laughs> he is. No, he went with the Cubs, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. They, I think he played up in Quebec there uh, for the, in the minors. Um, and now he's a movie and, star. Now he's a movie star. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> I saw him down in yeah. St. Louis at the wedding and we had a good talk. Yeah. A- any, any other sports yeah. you guys play growing up or was it primarily the hockey and, and the baseball? Well, with us, it was primarily baseball and hockey. Now, with himself, Wayne Wayne played lacrosse, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so, and that was a little bigger back then when he was growing up, but it wasn't as big when I was coming up. Sure. And to be honest, I don't think I could play that sport. Uh, Cross checking the back, it's. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I can play. I don't know how those guys are tough to play that game. Basketball was my sport. If anyone touched me, I got to shoot free throws. I didn't have to worry about cross checking <laughs> or anything. Are you kidding me? That was my game. Um, I was also tall um, and lanky enough to make it work, so that was good. Uh, so, yeah. so let's let's. Well, the other thing was track. We did track. Oh, sure. Field. Um, I'm not sure if many people know that my sister was like number one in track in Canada. She was going to the Olympics and, uh, wintry night. She, she, she was walking to a girlfriend's house or friend's house and, and slipped on ice and tore her, uh, her knee and she never ran no again. No way. Oh, that's uh, too bad. Yeah. So there's a, if you see pictures and stuff in the basement, the, there's a lot of medallions and trophies of, uh, the track and field, um, Holding the reef uh, trophy, those, those like ninety percent of those are my sisters. Oh wow! Um, yeah, and uh, so we did we did track and field as well, uh, running and uh, sorry cross country, and we did that stuff, um, but not not much of the lacrosse or the basketball or the basketball. That's fair. Now I tried the basketball. Did I tried, you? I, I joined the league because of a girl. Okay. Uh, good, as yeah. good a reason as any, if we're being I like honest. That yeah, <laughs> I was 13. Why not? So I have a buddy. He's uh, 
amazing baseball, amazing athlete. And uh, he played basketball and he was a part of it. And he went to her school and then he's like, join, join the league. I'm like, okay. I had no idea. I was traveling and tripping and it was, it was awful. It was awful. It was awful. Well, look, it, you, you don't need to be great at every single sport you play. You did well <laughs> enough in, in hockey. That's fine. That's fine. Well, thanks, Mike. Thank you. Now, speaking of, though, uh, uh, before we get into kind of that that uh, life, is, I know I, I, I kind of threw up that one question about Wayne leaving when you were two years old, but uh, yeah. before we get into kind of that and, and and how you got into hockey, let's talk about, in general, your your passion for the sport. If, if you're watching over on YouTube as a listener, you can see in the background, you have the set, I believe those are the McDonald's trophies that you have behind you there. Uh, you got a puck yeah. on a plaque as well. Collecting, collectibles, memorabilia, is that is that now or has it ever been uh, uh, an interest of you growing up? Uh a lot of the hockey cards when I was younger. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if I can show you that, but my, I like those too. Star Wars. The old Star Wars. Brent, you're so burying the lead. You don't know who you're talking to. <laughs> Come on. I could have had a whole podcast about that. <laughs> oh, anytime. Uh, those are my drones. I love those. And, uh, you know, collecting as far as sports go, and Brian, I'll show you when we're by ourselves, uh, I'll show you something else that you might be interested in. All right. Um, def- it's definitely not out there, but I'll show you. Um, but as far as collecting, it was harder because I was, I left home at 17 again, uh, so it was a little easier for myself with cards. Right. Um, any type of, uh, I got my, my wife got my sweater done for me in a frame um, for uh, our 25th anniversary. Nice. So it's more things of just family stuff yeah. that I have. Um, and these this here, like uh, my little trophies for the Leafs, uh, St. John's Maple Leafs, uh, I've, I've kept over time because we lived in St. John's. So I've had to bring them home. I couldn't sure. leave them in the house that sure. we were living in. So uh, it, it, it's a lot of fun. I mean, you can really get into it, especially the cards. I love the cards uh-huh. for me. Uh, and, and make sure you get the right ones and the pristine ones. Yeah, yeah we, we talk to a lot of people who come on this podcast who talk about how their first experience with hockey was cards. I, I always love the story about someone, I know Ken Reed said this when he came on the podcast, <laughs> you know, his favorite players were always based on the cards that he had. It's like, that guy's got yeah, a great yeah. mustache and a cool jersey. He's now my favorite yeah. player and no one else had heard Lenny of him. Lenny McDonald's? There you go, <laughs> man. He's a great, a great example, a great example of that. Um, well, how many, how many cards did I, I, I put a wage rookie cards in my spokes you know what I mean? oh, wow <laughs> yeah we used to do that or at the end of the right? season you'd throw them all up in the schoolyard and watch the big yeah. fights over people's scrambles and everybody <laughs> jump on each other trying to find yep. them well whoever won those scrambles may have come away with a couple prizes right mm-hmm. that's uh, uh maybe, maybe anyone who who got those uh those spokes from your bikes that's uh that's yeah. also uh, quite quite a prize right. to get there uh, let's talk about what what life was like at two years old with uh, your older brother leaving town. Was that was it exciting for you because you knew he was moving on to some pretty ex- pretty exciting things, or or was it sad because well, you're you're losing touch with your brother for a bit? Well, I I don't really recall, Mike, but I, I think I wouldn't have really known what was going on at the time. Mm-hmm. And as I got older, so he started to get into eighteen. I'd be seven, eight, nineteen, nine. He's eleven years older, so. Yeah. As he as he progressed, his fame became uh, more evident. Sure. And, uh, just the things of uh, getting to gold places. We were really lucky and fortunate to gold places, Edmonton and and uh, different cities, LA and and for functions and awards and um, you know that sort of helped 
me in my progression, uh, personally as a hockey player, of what could be, what right. you could end up if if you, and it all comes down to the right time, right place, right team, you know, and uh, with uh, with a lot of uh, injury free seasons, I, I'm trying to get, and something could happen. But just to see the lifestyle was, uh, you know, we we're very fortunate. Now, uh, you obviously no stranger to hockey yourself. Uh, with, with your brother going away, you kind of took up the mantle. I love that insight of saying, you know, we we saw what he was doing, so we knew it was possible for ourselves. And your junior yeah. career, nothing to sniff at, over a point a game for the Belleville Bulls. Eventually, you were drafted uh, by the expansion team in, in the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um what was what was that like? Was that was that a real moment for you, knowing that you know you had this this direct line now to the NHL? How long between getting drafted? I think it was a couple seasons. I think until you got called up to to play with with the team proper, right? But did everything change for you at that moment? What, what was life like once you would finally uh, receive that draft notice? Uh, well, it, it was awesome because I was there. It was in Montreal when I got drafted. So uh, great place to get drafted. Yeah, um, and. Uh, to be drafted and it's almost like a it's a completion of your start right like that's what you aim to do and you get drafted and everybody's ecstatic uh your family and your uh, coaches your team and uh teammates and darren mccarty i i forget what pick he was i think it was second round uh he was my line mate as well in in belleville i think he had 55 goals and 120 something points 127 points i think uh, another great guy, super person, right? Uh, always there for the kids, and and uh, so to get drafted, then you know you, you don't. I didn't know what to expect when you're going to camp, and um, in Tampa, we did the uh, the camp there in training, uh, all the testing, you know, and then to my very first game intramural game against uh, teammates, you know, and the coaches are in the stands and yep. they're rating and whatnot. And so I'm standing at center right. very first puck drop. I'm standing with my stick on my knees like centermen do. And Basil McRae, of all people, came <laughs> over and had his stick, his stick out. And he's like, keep your head up. And he's looking at me. I'm like, oh, my God, you're on, my same, you're on the same team. <laughs> you know? But I, I think that's kind of the turning point. It's like, all these guys want to play here and you have to work so hard to stay there. And in a, a tough position like that, another guy, Chris Gratton was drafted by um, Tampa. He's first pick overall. He's sure. from Bradford. And so our families knew each other. So we kind of chummed around and, and hung out. And, uh, you know, fortunately he got to stay. Tremendous player. And to be sent down, I think individually, I you know, and I'm trying to say this the right way, but – I had never been cut before mm -hmm. and I was kind of like, what happens now? Right. You know, I had never, I've never done that before. Sure. And uh, so I got sent to Atlanta and uh, had to, uh, you know, you had to work hard to get back up in there. Yeah. But we had the players, the likes of uh, Denny Savard, yeah. Peter Klima, Chris Gratton, Brian Bradley, uh, Darren Poopa was our goalie, like tremendous team. Manuel Rion was there. So, Again, a normal season, normal team, um, but they put everything together. We played at the old rink. Um, oh man, I can't think of the name of it, but uh, uh, they obviously moved into the new one. Beautiful building, right? Uh, but that's something that I start was a part of at the start. And Esposito, Mister uh, Phil Esposito, 
worked his butt off to achieve and uh, rightfully so there's a statue of him outside the the rink. I was I was going to say I I mean I I'm curious you know you you spend your your entire junior career you know understanding and, and watching what, what Wayne is doing. And now all of a sudden he's making the pros year 11 years prior. So you had some experience. I'm sure you would have had some run-ins with some players, some NHL players, some legends, some of the people that you're looking up to, but now you're on the ice with them. And as you mentioned, Phil Esposito, I think the, the general manager of Tampa yeah. Bay at the time yeah. and part yeah. owner and, and part owner, yeah. Yeah. um, um, coming, bumping up into these people of your own accord at this point, was that different than just kind of coming across them in, in, you know, pursuit of, of watching Wayne do his thing? Well, one thing I do, I, I, I remember, I recall vividly is uh, we played against the Rangers mm-hmm. and uh, Messier, uh, Mark Messier, who I had known from the Oilers and, and, sure. and him giving me pucks in the dress room or can of Coke, you know, take, take this, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now he's opening the curtain to look through and to say hi to me as I'm getting my stick ready to play, you know. So, oh, that's great. Like, yeah, that, that's pretty cool. And the game that I played against, the only time I played against Wayne in Tampa. October 20th, you know, 1993. Yep. Yeah. And he he picked up the puck uh, in his own zone and he was heading behind the net. And I, myself, like every other player is on the <laughs> other, side of the, other side of the ice. I'm like, I got you. And I was going to hit him behind the net. And uh, next thing you know, He's already in the other zone, and I'm looking for my job. Like <laughs> he's that quick and and that good. He already knew that was coming that way before I knew. So just uh, you know, those are times I remember and and cherish. And unfortunately, Dad, nobody could come to that game. Dad oh, and no. Mom, because Dad had his aneurysm. Oh wow! Uh, in ninety, I think ninety ninety one. So he was still recovering and couldn't travel. And I wouldn't have, nobody would have enjoyed it uh, because there was so much going on in his life and right. mom's life with it, right? So none of, and, none of the siblings were able to make it either. Eh? It was the only two Gretzky's there were you and, and Wayne. No, it was, my brother-in-law made it. He oh, came, okay. They came down. Yeah, they were in Florida. But I'll tell you, it took me about almost 20, so 94, 25 years to get that. Is that a, that's a, so you're holding up for the camera, a DVD of the game? That is the game. It took me 25 years from the people that we know and friends that we know in the league at the tur- or at the um, head office and everybody else. And with our the help of uh, wow. a great friend of mine, family is Joel Lama. And, Joe Lama, um, yeah, we know him well. Yeah, yeah. Joe. Yeah, and uh, he helped me get finally get somebody, and um, finally got it. And it's the only copy that uh, we have. We, so, I, so I'm sure Dad. Uh, we, I'm thinking Dad might have taped it on his VHS, <laughs> but he's got so many tapes. I don't know he which lost one it. it is. He lost it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even have VHS. So what have you done so, with that? Like, that would be a fascinating game to watch. I know. But let me tell you, Brian, uh, now that I have it, I have not watched it. <laughs> I, watched, I watched about 20 seconds of it, and it's hot mic. So when they go to commercials and stuff, the announcer, the commentators are still talking, no. and I don't want to hear anything. Oh, no. Yeah, from what they say, so I might have to get somebody to uh, to uh, watch it first to say it's okay. You can watch. When it. did you, you get that? Back? How, how long have you been sitting on it without watching it? Maybe three, four years. Are you kidding me? Yep, yep. It's been it's been uh, well. A was been upstairs in my hutch, 
And uh, and then finally, uh, it's you gotta watch it. You gotta watch it. I can't believe I know, your I know. curiosity <laughs> hasn't got the best. Of it's uh, so you, no. you can definitely relate to uh, Billy Bean not being able to watch uh, watch his teams play. Right? It's that kind of yeah, thing. Like yeah. I'm just not. I can't. I can't. The anxiety. And I get. I'm a non-player, and I get anxious. Like we, you know, we're we're recording this hot off uh, the unfortunate Leaf. Well, depending on your perspective, the unfortunate Leafs exit from the first round. Yes. And I remember in Game Six, the five on three that they had to uh, try to stave off in in. Uh, uh, against against Tampa it physically hurt my body to oh. like it physically I couldn't I was like I can't there is not a place in the world I'd rather not be than here right now watching this game is and so I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, get, I get the anxiety builds up yeah oh yeah um, so, so, uh, I, I had a, a fascination with that game. The fact that you were there, it's unfortunate, obviously that, uh, that no one can make it. We, we did have though, uh, on a recent episode, Paul Patsko, I'm not sure if he would have been involved in, in the video, but he is one of the foremost authorities on, uh, archiving NHL videos and finding lost tapes and, and this and that. So maybe somewhere in the background, if you're a keen listener to the, the sign off podcast, you'll know he was out there helping, uh, Brent find his, find his video there. Um, <laughs> so after, after Tampa, obviously you still continued to have, uh, a, a pro career that took you kind of all over the world. You played in Austria for a time. Um, I'm I'm more curious, you know, Uh-oh. not not necessarily Sorry. specifically. Oh, the, as the lights go off in the studio, there we go. Sorry, it, it's hey, all, the uh... Danbury Trashers are playing tricks on us again. All of a sudden, T Bone's in there. Um, do you have a a time? And maybe it is uh, uh, from the NHL. Do you have a time from your professional career that you look back on most fondly? Ah. I think more than anything, uh, it'd be any any of the three championships. Mm. Um, like I I won in um, Atlanta with the uh, with the Knights. There we were the first uh, first championship in the city. Oh wow! Uh, before yeah, before the Braves and the Knights. Um, or sorry, Braves and the Hawks and. And then we won in Chicago. Great, it was a great city. Uh, John Anderson was the coach. Played with Wendell Young, Steve Malte, um, and then we won the hundredth uh, championship in the Senior League in Brantford with the Brantford Blast. Right. So, I, I think my championships being on the championship teams probably outweighs everything. Other than the places, thank goodness, and very fortunate is um, different places I lived. You mentioned Austria. I lived in Pensacola, Las Vegas, Asheville, North Carolina, mm-hmm. Chicago, um, and places I wouldn't be able to go to uh, if if I didn't play hockey. Yeah. yeah, you always hear that. You know, we've had a, a couple of people who have who have spent a lot of time playing in the pros, going from team to team, city to city, and they all look back on it very fondly. They love the process of having been able to see various parts of the world. We had Ethan Warrick on on recently. We had Kerry Goulet as well, uh, both of whom had seen parts of the world they never would have otherwise seen had they not been involved in hockey, and and therefore they right. almost look at hockey as you know, they've dedicated their life, their passion towards it. And hockey has in turn kind of returned the favor. You know, this is, this yeah. is the life that we're, that we're willing to give you, but somewhat, uh, 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 of a change, but before we get into what, what you're doing and where you went after your, your pro career for a little bit, one more question about your time in Tampa. I've been sort of curious about this. Obviously your name brings a lot of weight in the league, Gretzky, uh, but you were a rookie on a team. And when you're a rookie on a team, sometimes you're subjected to, I don't want to call it hazing, but maybe a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, get in the pecking order, maybe a rookie dinner or something like that. Were you subjected to the same sorts of things? And if so, what was that experience like a little bittersweet? Uh, uh, oh yeah. 
Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, as far as rookie things go, uh, in Atlanta, you would help with the bags and help with the trainers and, and, and uh, have to pick up the pucks and things of that nature. But uh, as far as the uh, rookie dinner in mm. Tampa, I played uh, my last game in Boston Garden, the old Boston Garden, with, and it was like a two shower head, uh, I don't know, four by three cement. And, uh, you know, across from me was Denny Savard. He was showering. And that's when uh, Phil Esposito stuck his head into the shower and said, Gretz, I got to send you down. And that was my last game to ever play. But the night before, we had uh, dinner um, at a, obviously a seafood restaurant because we're in Boston. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had uh, Chris Gratton, myself, and Stan Drulia. So we were the three rookies. Uh, Chris Gratton paid 7000 of the uh, bill. And myself and Stan Drulia paid 3500 each. So it was oh, he man. got the big sign <laughs> bonus, so he got half. And then we had to split the other half. And then I got sent down the next night. Oh, Phil, so, come on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and then never played again. Uh, I don't know if it was the dinner or, or because I didn't score. I'm not sure. <laughs> he couldn't have done it the day before. Come on. Yeah, You don't yeah, have to pay yeah. the bill. Give me a break. Right. Uh, I, so that's, it's good to know, you know, given, given the same sort of treatment. Uh, now, post-career, obviously, you, you had been quoted also during your career uh, saying that you would love to eventually potentially uh, uh, take up a job with uh, the OPP or become a police officer. You've said that you've had a, a sort of uh, a kinship towards that sort of militaristic style job. And I don't I don't mean militaristic in terms of combative, but militaristic in terms of that family orientation, that team orientation. Has that just been so ingrained in you uh, from from your dad onwards to your pro career that that you need that sort of structure or love that that team structure and whatever it is that you do? Absolutely. Uh, and it's exactly, uh, because it's such a team, again, it's like a team. You have to rely on um, uh, your teammates. And, and right now I'm lucky I'm, I'm uh, acting sergeant of, of eight people on the shift. And we work as a family. We depend on each other. We rely on each other. We mm-hmm. know what the other person's going to do. And this is something I've, policing is something, OPP is the only thing I wanted to do since I was six years old. Sure. Uh, I have pictures of, uh, you know, the hip weight, uh, yeah. guns and, and, uh, badges you know, badges and, and hats. hats. And, yeah. There you know, go. Yeah, yeah. All. And even when I was playing in Atlanta and we'd be flying to, uh, different uh, locations, I would have study guides. I'd be doing the math or problem solving. You know, um, I knew that at some point hockey was going to come to an end. Sure. I just didn't know when I was going to end hockey. Right, um, right. Because you get into that, you like the lifestyle of, of working eight months a year, possibly, and then four months of golfing and training. Right. Uh, but at some point, when you have three kids, you have to grow up and, and uh, get a <laughs> nine to five of some sort. Um, so, And that's what happened to me. But I, I always wanted to do it. It's the only thing I ever wanted to do. And uh, thank goodness I went through. It's never too late. I was 37 years old. And uh, I still love it. Is there anything that you learned from your time as a pro hockey player, whether it's, you know, this element of team, it's obviously not shooting a puck, but is there anything that you learned that you took into the police force that gave you a keen insight? Yep. How to talk to strangers. Sure. Uh, Every situation is going to be different. 
Uh, it's going to be volatile in the corner. It's going to be uh, great after the game with the other team. Uh, you got to uh, speak with the fans that you don't know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so you're always in the same thing with policing. You're going to go into a situation you don't know what it is. It's going to be volatile. And you got to calm everything down and, and make sure everybody's okay. Right. Um, so just, just being able to speak to somebody that you don't know and uh, be able to take in what they're giving you. And it's the same thing. Uh, I mean, how many... <laughs> How many Gretzky lines did I hear playing hockey? Oh, you're never as <laughs> good as your brother. You know, things of that nature. Sure. You take into policing because you're going to get yelled at and patience that and everything out. Yeah, patience. And uh, as far as the structure stuff, I, I love being on time. I love people that are on time. Um, and, and everybody's set to a, according to plan of, of how to get things done in, in one way or another. Is, is there, it just occurred to me. When you're out in the job, uh, ever were you going to ask this question? Was I, I, I was going to apologize before I asked it because I'm sure you get asked all the time. Aren't so you I'm Brent Gretzky? You know, yeah. like does that affect your job at all? Do you ever get called out on that? Like, you know uh, what, uh, Brian? I I police in an area uh, around uh, where I live, and uh, and I've only had one one time. Uh, I stopped a guy on the highway and. I went back to the car with his ticket, reduced, of course, but I went back <laughs> up to, I went up to his car to give him his ticket, and he goes, Gret- Brent Gretzky, can I put this on eBay? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm like you're not going to get enough to pay that ticket. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's, it works out. They, if, if, if somebody's having a bad day, if it, if it strikes them all of a sudden, brings them back, and... If, if that we go on that way of conversation to calm them down, sure. I'm okay with it. I'm sure. okay. That, that might be an interesting thing to see how many of your tickets got on eBay. Are there, I, I wonder <laughs> if they're, oh my God, I, as a joke, Do was going to say, that too, Brian? that's the thing I was, as a joke, I was going to say, my dad's hearing this, just like he heard you talking <laughs> about Danbury and he's going to say, we should sell some yeah. signed parking. Let me know when you're working next. Yeah, exactly. Let me know when you're working next. I'm going to speed right by you. <laughs> <laughs> I want that ticket. See how much I can make off it. Amazing. Well, Brent, look, we're coming to the end of our time. Uh, uh, it went by fast. I, I, I've got a bunch more questions we could get into, but obviously we know you're a busy guy. Uh, uh, anything that you want to put the listeners towards? Something you're working on? I know you mentioned a charity that you're uh, that that you, you you raise some funds for as well. Anything you want to put people on? No, I, I'm I'm good, Mike. Thank you. I uh, just remember that uh, you know everybody's in tough position, and I don't mean to see seem coppish and everything like that, but everybody's in a tough position right now. We're coming out of COVID, and yeah. some people still have it. And, uh, you know, tempers and frustrations, whether it be supermarkets and stuff of that nature, um, you know, just remember trying to be con- uh, kind to each other. And, uh, of course, you mentioned the charity. We're starting back up, I believe, this year, hopefully, uh, with the NHL alumni. We'll be going to cities again to raise money for Special Olympics. Amazing. An outro and advice that I can imagine your father, Walter, giving as well. Uh, a yeah, great note to yeah. go out on. Uh, Brent Gretzky, once again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and for uh, Brian Aaronworth, president of Frameworth Sports Marketing, and myself, Mikey Aaronworth, host of the Sign Off Podcast. This is us signing off. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we made it to the end of yet another episode. Thanks again so much for joining us. You can find videos of all of our episodes on YouTube by searching the Sign Off Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Frameworth Sport or Instagram at Frameworth Sports. 
And hey, if you're not sick of me yet, you can find me on Twitter over at at Retrograde Mikey, or you can always find me embarrassing myself over on Instagram at Aaronworth. The sign-off is a proud product of Fadu Productions and Sad Styles Productions, executive producers Mikey Aaronworth and Andrew Bascom. Until next week, this is Mikey Aaronworth signing off. Furnished by Sad Styles Productions. Get into it!